Welcome, Fan Lebitardians, to the 20th episode of the Fan Lebitard Show. With your help, this podcast has grown by leaps and bounds over these past four, almost five months now. Absolutely crazy. Please continue to like, subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us on Twitter at Lebitard underscore fan and continue to help us spread the word because I feel like this show has some momentum right now. On this very special episode, we welcome in our first member of the shipping container, Chris Whittingham. We talk show, we talk soccer. It's about what you probably expected, to be honest, but it's still a really fun conversation, and I guarantee you will walk away from it having learned something. But before we get into the interview, it feels very fitting that today, on a milestone episode for this podcast, the Dan Lebitard Show has hit a milestone of its own. On Tuesday, Scoops Cody dropped the news we've all been waiting for, the landing spot for the pirate ship. And that answer is... DraftKings. Now, I was very confused by this news because I had not personally thought them to be in the race for the show. But after reading the details, which I will not give you here because I want to direct you to Greg Cody's column in the Miami Herald, it just reinforces to me how much Dan and Stu care about this audience. They turn down more money so we, the loyal listeners, wouldn't potentially be locked out behind a paywall or subscription. Class acts, truly. This podcast's first episode wondered aloud what the future of the Dan Levitard show might be. And here on episode 20, we finally have our answer. So from the bottom of my heart, congratulations to everybody involved in the show because they just got paid in a big way. It's a dangerous game to bet on yourself on a scale as large as theirs, but it quite literally paid off. And I know I'm not alone in saying that I look forward to seeing how the show develops with the backing of DraftKings. One final note before we get into the interview, I want to give a huge shout out to our guest from episode 19, Christina Buswell. She not only was a fantastic guest on this podcast, but she then went on to the podcast that she produces, Sports with Katie Nolan, and gave this podcast coverage on an ESPN platform. So, now that Katie Nolan and Travis know that this podcast exists, I am extending an open invitation for them to join me as guests at any time. Just throwing it out there, but Christina, if you hear this, you are a rock star, and thank you so much for giving the show some love. Now, if you'll all excuse me, I'm going to transfer all my winnings from FanDuel and into DraftKings. Enjoy the interview with Witty, and I'll talk to you all next week. This is The Fan Levitard Show. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to bring you this episode today because we finally landed our first whale. We have a member of the shipping container. No, I'm not talking about Dan Levitard, not a literal whale, but we've got a whale. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to welcome in Chris Whittingham, the... I think I think it's safe to say the uh, the most intellectually stimulating member of the shipping container at this point. Chris, are you comfortable with that? No, I'd go for Chris Cody for that one. <laughs> We'll talk we'll talk about him later. So this first question that I'm going to ask you is normally a formality at the start of any of these interviews, but after the absolutely harrowing bomb threat that you <laughs> that encountered today at the Clevelander, I ask you sincerely, Chris Whittingham, you good? I'm good. You good? I'm good. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I feel like 
laughter was perhaps the wrong reaction to a bomb threat. Uh, I don't I don't know why I didn't feel any sense of danger pulling into the garage, which is directly attached to a building under a bomb threat. We were more concerned with getting back into the building than, you know, the threat of a bomb. I guess you're just kind of in, like instinctually uh, mistrustful might be the wrong word, but it's like, oh, come on. Like someone called this in, was playing a prank. It wasn't funny and uh, and all that. But yeah, I mean, we weren't... Uh, we weren't terribly bothered about it, and we were able to get back in, and thankfully everything was okay. Sports Illustrated was not taking Jessica's first day very well, were they? <laughs> wow, I, I don't, I don't like the accusation here. I'm not, I'm, I'm not <laughs> drifting to conspiracy here. Reckless speculation alert. We'll, <laughs> we'll put that sounder in there. Um, You're good. So, so today was, uh, was a revealing day for a lot of reasons. Not the least of which was your revelation that you're using your stove as your alarm clock. And I want to give you the opportunity, I think, to explain yourself because correct me if I'm wrong. You're a, a young professional single living in, I believe you said a studio apartment. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Studio uh, apartment in South Florida. And uh, yeah, I, I have owned various alarm clocks. I've used my phone as an alarm clock. Um, and in the end, I was kind of looking for some innovation and in searching for innovation, I went backwards because uh, I, I've just I'm terrible at waking up. I'm terrible at early rising, and I believe I started this. I was calling. Um, I was doing a, a tournament uh, for Concacaf, the Concacaf under 15s, and every morning the first game is at 8 a.m., which means I had to be at the studio at like 6:30 to to be ready for for the game, which means you know up at 5:30, 5:45, and I was struggling during this tournament. And the phone alarm, I just, I kept fearing the snooze. I, I'm a snoozer. That that nine-minute window is dangerous because it, who knows how deeply you can fall asleep in that nine-minute window. Dangerous what game. If you hit, what happens if you hit stop instead of snooze? Oh, yep. I've that, done that. That's a dangerous game. So I decided I needed to figure something else out. I have an alarm clock, as I mentioned, which was recommended by, I think, Kinja Deals. That was like, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's an alarm clock that also kind of acts as like a big bright light that's meant to uh, simulate the sun. Um, okay. That, for whatever reason, didn't do it for me. So I was like, what what can I turn to? And I turned to the stove. And it worked brilliantly. And I, I get up in the morning, you know, a little bit panicked because it's a very loud noise. I feel like I might be annoying my neighbors, but I don't care. And uh, it was a piercing enough sound. There's enough light involved that once I've experienced it, I feel like I'm awake and I'm good. So for me, it is the best way to wake up. So, okay, I think you would define it as efficient, but I think the rest of us would look at that and be like, that's a little strange. You acknowledge that, yes? <laughs> um, not necessarily. Like, I mean, you wake up how you want to wake up. The only, the only bit of it that I feel strange about is at night. It's like 9.37 and I want to get up the next morning at 6, and I have to do the math. All right, 6 hours plus 2 plus 23, 8 hours, 23. Like, I have to, I have to like, do the math in my head of how of what to set the timer for so that the alarm will go off at the time. That, that's the only bit where I go, this is odd. But other than that, it, I, don't, I don't really see I'm – uh, I'm not wedded to convention, Ty. I'm someone who uh, – I'm, I'm willing to innovate. I'm willing to do – things different than other people and not think it to be weird it's just it's the way that i wake up that's why you're on this podcast because you're an innovator chris whittingham <laughs> i want to go to show related things now because it has been said that to be on the levitard show you have to take aspects of your personality and then crank that volume up for entertainment purposes and so i want to ask this very plainly 
how much of the, and I'm using air quotes here, rivalry that exists between you and Chris Cody is performative? Um, I'd see. I don't know if I want to break down the fourth wall here. Um, what is the fan Chris podcast I, for if not to break down the fourth I wall? Mean, I mean, you know, like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal our secrets. Um, no, I mean, Chris and I get along swimmingly. We 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 have a great time. Our working relationship, really, as an entire shipping container, is tremendous. And uh, I I I will say, like, there are probably bits of me that everyone finds annoying. Right when I was going, when I was blabbering on about how I pronounce last names, and I was doing Le Batab with a French accent, <laughs> that probably is deeply annoying to a lot of people. So uh, I I. You know, I, I I completely understand why Chris would on air get annoyed because he probably in his head is annoyed. Billy gets annoyed. He does oh enough. He does that to me a lot, and it's probably true because when I'm in meetings, I do things like this all the time. I believe I relayed an anecdote on the air the other day in which we were in a meeting. And I said, oh yeah, you know, I was talking with the engineers and everything is copacetic, <laughs> and I got like private messages like, oh for the love of God, man! Like even in <laughs> meetings, you're doing this. Like no, this is just who I am. Like I use annoying language all the time. It's just. Whatever the word that pops in my head is the word that I will use. So, uh, in my view, um, I'm I'm just being me. Um, well, I'm I'm not gonna have a go at Chris for saying. I mean, w- everyone does a pile on whenever someone screws up, but I'm not gonna like. I don't want to belittle anyone for making mistakes. So, like, there's only so far that I will go in making fun of him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the rest of the guys find me annoying sometimes. It's totally fine because ultimately, it's an expression of who I am. Well, we're gonna use your intelligence here. No pressure. This was uh, this was off the cuff. Had not planned this mm-hmm. out before. But Chris Whittingham, can you give us a word of the day? <laughs> um that is a that is a great question. Um I was really I was really amused at uh something oh uh my my favorite word of the day was something that you heard on the Dan Levitard show uh which was Adnan Verk des- describing a movie as wretched. Wretched and I, and I and Chris was actually like alarmed at the number of sounds that I was making. I was just going, "Oh. Oh. Oh." Like it was like bordering on sensual. Uh, the 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 reactions that I had to the word wretched. I don't know why. Just because it was like, you can describe something as bad, or you can describe it as wretched. Like wretched is a different level. So uh, just uh, for that day, I will say, I have a note somewhere on my phone, and you can go ahead and keep talking so that I can find it. We had uh, John Skipper on for the South Beat sessions, mm-hmm. and okay, so I actually I wrote these down. So. He was he was on one in terms of words, and it was another situation where uh, I was in the room with Mike Ryan, and I just going oh, like I was making like these noises, right, that that are alarming probably now to your listeners that have AirPods on. But here are the words that I wrote down, uh, to like to like because I was so impressed with them that I wanted to incorporate that in, incorporate them into my everyday language. Michigas. Michigas, tremendous word. What the hell does that I, even which, mean? Which I I believe is like uh, it's like frivolity, like it's kind of like uh, like it's it's it might be like mischief or fun. Uh, yeah, craziness, senseless behavior or activity. Uh, so it's actually a Yiddish word. Uh, so I love the word Michigas. I wanted to incorporate that into my daily life. He also uh, said, "I am not very lubricious in social settings," which I believe, which I, I believe means outgoing. A uh, lubricious, tremendous word. The word sobriquet, tremendous. It's another. It's another word for a nickname. So, for example, uh, John Weiner goes by the sobriquet Stu Gatz. Love that. 
absolutely love that. I also used it the other day. Uh, was it a mystery crate or was it a meeting? I don't remember. I used the phrase nom de plume. Tremendous, which is like a, which is like a pen name for an author. Love that. Inui, tremendous word. It is it is another word for like your environment, like your surrounds. I, I wrote that down, and I have no idea why this is in here. Fufara. I don't know what that means. What? I wrote it down at some point, uh, but I'm gonna Google it now. Fufara. So uh, I, I for for value for money, I gave you five. Fufara, by the way, is a great deal of fuss or attention given to a minor matter. I don't know why. Uh, I wrote that down, or what context I heard it, but I must it must have struck me in some way because it's in my Apple Notes. <laughs> <laughs> I need I need to compose myself for a second because <laughs> what just an avalanche? You just got an avalanche of nonsense. What just happened there pushed me all the way back to being sixteen with my mom shoving SAT in a box at By me, saying, "Learn these words, damn it! It's gonna help you." <laughs> By the way. Uh, this um, uh, defect of my personality is born out of that. It is born out of the SAT. Uh, it was not my mom, but it was a tutor. I had a tutor for the SAT, and literally with like a week to go, he basically my, my tutor was like, you're good. You're going to do fine on this test, but let's just see how many words we can cram. So uh, there was like the, there was like this um, vocabulary cartoons in which you like there were um, – it's like a book – of words, but they were like they were animated so that you can kind of like picture in your head what that word is. And maybe you pick off some some of them, and we do like two fifty a day, like one after the other. And maybe at the end, I remembered eighteen of them. But if it's if one of them popped up on the SAT, then hell, it was worth it to learn. And I guess I never kind of got out of that mode of like noticing words and noticing language. Uh, and then the other aspect of this as well was. Um, I, I was studying for like play by play broadcasting. I would like a like a gap period in between gigs and I research I, I watched like all these goals, right, from like the Premier League, from Europe and all this stuff, and I was studying the language that they use because I kept you, I, I found when I was doing uh, broadcasting that I kept using the same words to describe things. So I was like, what's every way to describe a cross? And when you listen to English commentators, like they take the language out for a spin. Like they will oh, yes. all the time. They will all the time use words. Where I'm like, damn, you said on a sports broadcast? That's incredible. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, it's kind of like it's those two things, like always looking for the best way and most unique way to describe something. And now my brain is broken. So, um <laughs> I feel the need to share this with you. Back when I was on the come up, fresh out of college, trying to get on the radio broadcasting, play-by-play grind, whatever you want to call it, I did some stuff where I was calling play-by-play and doing commentary for local high school soccer, and I found myself instinctively reverting into my worst instincts and just taking all the cues that I have heard from FIFA, and I just started (laughs) essentially trying to speak like a British person. absolute cracker yeah. of a goal that it's just the most oh, yes. ridiculous oh, have, shit uh, listen listen i have done that as well uh sliding intervention i used the other day on a broadcast you don't use that word you don't i would never use that phrase in a normal bit of context but listen i was doing a football match so i had to mate you know what i mean like, oh that's it, so it was, that's a great accent well uh, okay well it's, it's a subject of controversy but anyway no no uh, no let's go into it let's go into it uh, no, no no but like uh yeah so Definitely, like British colloquialisms have worked their way into uh, my commentary and otherwise. Yeah, that's a cracking goal. What to finish that? Like I've, like I've, you know, I've always wanted to shout that during a game, but uh, I, I feel like I would get shouted down, and that's probably not the most professional thing to do. That was spot on. That those were both incredible. <laughs> what is, what is controversial about that? 
Uh, I, I annoy people with it. Um, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like it, it was funny cause, um, I started on the show as an intern, like back like a decade ago and we'd watch champions league football while we were doing the show. Cause obviously Mike massive Chelsea fan, this is 2012 around the time I was in college and then Chelsea going on that run to the champions league final. And so like, I would, I would just be in the room and I would start doing the accent and Roy would just get incensed, like <laughs> stop it now. And I think like, uh, I think everyone in that room at the time uh, found me annoying for doing that. And, uh, and they still find me annoying for doing that. Uh, some people find it funny. I have found that more people, particularly the people I professionally respect, mostly find it annoying. I'm noticing a trend in your life here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what people find me annoying? <laughs> yeah, you know, I just, I, I want to know, like, uh, you, had, you had talked about uh, your, your experience on, like, dating apps and stuff like that previously. Yeah. And I'm curious if that is your opener. Like, hey, just as a heads up, everyone <laughs> in my annoying. life finds me annoying. <laughs> Just what the success usually, rate is on that. I, I usually don't get to the stage on dating apps uh, <laughs> where I can. I need to look better with my shirt off in order to get to that stage. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm annoying. I just think that like I pursue like kind of my interest to its logical conclusion, right? So like I can't just become a fan of soccer. I have to like watch every Premier League match and do an impersonation of the commentator. So I think there's like almost like a like an obsessiveness. Not an OCD, I think it's probably a bit too much, but just like a I am like super passionate about my hobbies and about like all right, I can't just get into learning words. I have to learn all of them. Like I I'm kind of like an all encompassing person that way where like no matter what I do, I want to like learn all there is to know about it. And that kind of interest pursuing or that kind of like caring about something can probably be annoying to other people. I'm gonna and there are other times where I do it on purpose. Like there are like I have friends where I'm annoying to them on purpose. I'm gonna move on, but uh I can't I can't leave without this image popping into my head. Uh, the visual image of one of your Tinder matches spending the night and then waking up to you frantically running over to your stove the next morning to shut off your alarm and just watching the absolute <laughs> bewilderment on their face. Like, what are you doing? Bewilderment. Ah, there Excellent we go. word. Love bewilderment. <laughs> All right. So we went into reckless speculation a little bit earlier, but I want to actually dive into it right now because I have a theory and I want you to help confirm or deny this. So, as we heard today, we're recording on a Monday. Jessica just joined the shipping container, so it has now grown a little bit. And I gotta be honest, it has me wondering about your future specifically, because I have seen you everywhere. You've been doing play-by-play, you seem like you're getting in with Inner Miami, like you're doing a lot of stuff on the side. You are very much on that young broadcaster grind right now. And so, with the shipping container getting crowded, I'm just a little bit curious, like, what is your plan as it pertains to the show moving forward, especially as it's in its pirate ship phase and, you know, about to, uh, you know, move forward with this big Meadowlark venture? Um, so my plan for the moment is to just enjoy everything, right? I love doing play-by-play. I've, I've said, uh, to everyone involved that play-by-play is my passion. And so, you know, I'm going to take as many of these assignments as possible. Who knows if something, uh, comes of it, but also like on a kind of concurrent path is I love this show. Like, I, I don't know if I'd be like bold enough to do a like a fan podcast about it, but I probably could. Uh, I mean, I've been listening to this show since I was in high school, right? It was my introduction to sports media. I was way too young to be listening to AM radio, but <laughs> it didn't feel like AM radio to me. And so I love this show. And the idea that I get to go to work, air quotes work, 
and laugh like an idiot for four hours and maybe like do a bit of editing on like along with it is like the greatest professional honor blessing ridiculous bit of luck that is that I've ever encountered so I I will like in some ways I don't ever want to not that they'll have me for as long as I want to <laughs> be there but for as long as they'll have me I will do as much as I can now I probably am doing too much at the moment between the show. Um, you mentioned kind of the pirate phase elements. Like, there is so much that goes beyond the show um, that we're all working on. Like, it is an extraordinary amount of work for the number of people that we are. And so, you know, like, for example, you know, I do a lot of stuff with sales and making sure that all the commercials run on time. I, I know I'm not supposed to check the Reddit, but I check the Reddit just in case I've screwed anything up. You poor like, bastard. Like, like, like with editing and with, like, there, there's just so much going on, and we are all maximizing our output. We're doing as much as we possibly can, and that includes me. Like, I'm trying uh, to do as much as I can. And ultimately, like, all, all I've said to, to Dan and, and to, you know, who the, whatever executive, like, the executive team at Meadowlark is, whatever you guys will have me do, I'm happy to do it. Whether it's helping here, helping there, being a part of the show, not being a part of the show. Um, so... I'm having an immense amount of fun, and thankfully, you know, the show itself is in the morning and in the afternoon, and games are at nights and on the weekends, so I can do both. Um, the question is, is that I'm stretching myself unbelievably thin, uh, so I have to figure out uh, the best way to manage my time and try and have a personal life. I guess the good news is that in pandemic, there isn't really much personal life to be had, uh, but... Yeah, I, I probably do need to achieve a greater work-life balance. But for the moment, I'm just having too much fun. And I have to, like, when I remind myself every day as I'm going in, today's a day to have fun because this is an unbelievably, you know, if you had said to me that I would have been doing this when I was an intern or when I was listening to the show in high school, I'd have, like, absolutely thought you were insane. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the hell out of it, and I'll, I'll keep doing it as long as they'll have me. The average listener is going to hear that as... Like, oh, that's really great that Whittingham is having so much fun, and oh, it sounds so fun to work there. Me, as someone who's worked in radio before, I hear that, and I'm like, my God, they have Witty doing sales and traffic on the side. That is brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, and, you know, Roy and I are working on it together. And look, Stugatz is our lead salesman. Like and it, so, I, so I that's not a bit. That's not a bit. He is no, actually no, heading he's, that he's department. Our, he's, he is leading our sales, and <laughs> him and uh, Bimo Capadia, who's been announced as part of our uh, our executive team, it's 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 their show. Uh, so you know, and I and I, you know, we're, Roy and I are tasked with executing it. It's a lot, man. It's like it's it's a lot of business. It's a lot of you know assigning spots to where they're supposed to be, updating them. Like I took some crap today because you know we ran the DraftKings spot from last week instead of today's, and I had to like you know scramble home and edit and make sure that the right one was in. So yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a lot of kind of that admin work that we all have to share, right? I mean, and every, like, you know, Billy is in guest booking now, and, like, he, he's killing it with guest booking right now. Um, you know, Chris is such is such an instrumental part of, you know, putting content to, like, you know, our, our prep together and, and, all, and, and sound together and all that stuff. Like, everyone is carrying a fairly sizable, you know, amount of work right now. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and I, I understand it, so I'm happy to do it. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's just a lot. Now, see, that's the behind-the-scenes stuff that I want right there. That's the good stuff, Witty. I like that. 
But we're getting away from that because I want to get your thoughts on some Super League talk because the people have not had enough of that already. (laughs) So it has been about a week since the Super League landed on our collective doorsteps. And it kind of, it didn't kind of, it absolutely rocked the sporting world for 48 hours until it folded, I guess you could say. Now that the dust has settled a little bit on that, do you think we have any sort of picture of what the lasting legacy of this failed experiment is going to be? The lasting legacy of this will be almost its own identity, right? So, like, the Super League, if, if, if it's ever brought up again, we will remember last week. We will remember the moment in time in which we thought it was going to happen Everyone railed against it, and then all the major, or most of the major clubs, backed away from it. And we will remember how deeply unpopular it was. So, what's the amount of time that has to pass by for all of us to forget? If they bring this up again in 10 years, we will remember this week. We'll remember how everyone reacted. And I don't think public sentiment, like, what's the charm offensive that the clubs can go on in order to enact something like this? I think. This what like ultimately this has been thrown around for more than twenty years, and this was the one chance for the big clubs to do this. If they were going to do it, this was it. Once you announce something on letterhead and you put out a logo and you say we're doing this, that's your one opportunity to do it. And the fact that they didn't have the metal to, you know, pursue it to go ahead with it is kind of I think the ultimate sign that this can never happen. Now. You never say never, and and I imagine maybe at some point they'll put together an investment package that's even double what they had already prepared with J.P. Morgan, and it's even more insurmountable. But I think the reaction and the way that it didn't work is what will be remembered, because the next time this comes up, people will say, oh, so like the Super League? And the Super League will have such a... I imagine if you polled the Super League right now, it would poll at like 8% or something like that. And it would only be like Real Madrid and Barca fans that would be for it. (laughs) Uh, so, like, it would poll incredibly unpopularly. So, the fact that this idea didn't happen, or at least we think won't happen, because, you know, the Real Madrid president says they have contracts, but we think won't happen, is kind of that stopping it from ever happening again. Now, and and Mike, on the, sh- on the show, when we talked off air, has astutely pointed out, there will be a UEFA Super League, in which, as the years go on, as the competition of the Champions League iterates, it will look more like what the big clubs laid out, because ultimately, they do have an immense amount of power and can negotiate for quite a lot. But a breakaway Super League with no relegation, I don't think can happen. So UEFA's president has said that the 12 teams that were involved in this are going to face some sort of punishment, but they haven't actually talked about what that is yet specifically. In your opinion, what should that punishment look like? And should it be different for the teams that pulled out sooner rather than later? I mean, you still have four teams that technically haven't pulled out at all. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I really don't know what the punishment can be because, you know, if you're UEFA... Do you want to have a Champions League without any of these clubs? Do you ban them from the competition? I don't think so. Um, I I honestly don't know because I think everyone is kind of um, at least invested in keeping these clubs around, right? If you're the Premier League, you can't run off the big six. They're such big drivers, right? So do you make it so punitive or do you kind of, you know, pat them on the shoulder and go, hey, we know you did that, but, you know, 
we need you. Now it seems pretty clear you need us. Let's work together. Let's get beyond this. Um, I, I I don't I don't know what the what the I mean maybe the punishment is locking in the existing structure right. Say hey if you want to do this again. And and Jonathan Wilson made this point on the on Guardian Football Weekly, and I think he was bang on, which is like, if you don't do this again, we will codify a future set of punishments. Um, but for the moment, let's kind of call this an episode and move on. But I, I don't know. I don't know what the desire is. I don't know what the desire is for the executives of these clubs that organize this to have them continue on in their positions. But I don't know. I don't even know what's even legally in bounds. Uh, I don't know what the, the best way to do it would be. So I'm I'm kind of I I will accept whatever the authorities come to in terms of what they believe to be the best punishment for this. So the I think the proposed punishment that I keep seeing that is most commonly thrown around as kind of like a slap on the wrist is a point deduction on a league by league basis. That feels to me like it could have some momentum in the sense that it's a short-term punishment. It affects some of these top teams potentially from reaching the top level of Europe, like if you deduct 15 points from Man City, that's not going to affect anything. They're still going to Champions League regardless. But for some of those other teams in there, like that bumps them maybe from Champions League down to Europa or from Europa out of it altogether, or in Arsenal's case, not even in it to begin with. Uh, in, in your mind, like, is that about probably where things will will end up? I know that's kind of the same question I'm asking, but I'm just, I guess I'm more curious how you think about point deductions as a punitive measure. So the reason why I don't like it, even though, look, ultimately you have to punish the clubs and it will have some deleterious effect on the coaches and the players. Deleterious. I like that. Great word. word. Uh, so it will have some deleterious effect on the players, but players didn't do this. Coaches didn't do this. Hell, even the sporting directors, the players, or the, the people who picked the players didn't do this. Why should they be punished, right? And so what would kind of be the way – Now, I, I, and I actually think like from like a pure entertainment standpoint, the Big Six starting next year on minus 18 sounds kind of fun, right? All yeah. of a sudden you're wearing, you're wearing an Everton hat right now. they got a chance to win the league. Let's go. Like, they, like, they, like, like they've got a chance, and like how cool would it be? All right, well, you beat Crystal Palace on the opening day. You're up to minus 15 now. And like, like getting back to zero – will be like a fun race to watch. And then it'll be like kind of giving the rest of the clubs a head start and seeing what they can do. Like, because some club is going to have, you know, five five wins from seven to start the season. They're going to be, you know, 28 points clear of one of the big six clubs. And they're going to have to hold on to that lead for the rest of the season. Like, from a purely enter- entertainment standpoint, I actually think a point deduction would be pretty fun for next year. Um, but, but getting back to the point of, like, not wanting to punish the coaches and the players, I actually think the the thing that makes the most sense is transfer bans. Because if we're saying that you don't want to punish the players, players aren't affected by a transfer ban. Hell, they might even get to pay, like, play more as a result of a transfer ban. Um, it doesn't affect... I mean, it, it would affect the coaches because coaches want to bring new players in, but it's not like you lose current players, you lose the ability to compete. If anything... It might be a greater test of the coaches because you have to work with what you have, and that's all you have. Um, so it punishes what ultimately is, I think, like the most kind of difficult part of this breakaway Super League, which is kind of exacerbating the financial might of these major institutions, right? So you are you already make a ludicrous amount of money. You already spend way more than every other club in the transfer market. 
what if we took away that advantage from you as a result of you trying to only further advance it? It's kind of like the thing that is most connected to the air quote sporting crime. So I actually like to me, the transfer ban is something that makes a good deal of sense here. Um, but again, I, I, I don't really know uh, what what the what the best route to pursue is like from the standpoint of the stakeholders, right? If you're UEFA, if you're the Premier League, if you're uh, Syria, La Liga, whichever league is kind of issuing punishments here, um, what is the best way to go to kind of make sure that this doesn't happen again, or that there's you know some kind of retribution for what was a fairly serious act of rebellion from some of these clubs? Is it fair to call what happened last week a soccer coup or an attempted soccer coup? I mean, if it's not, it's the closest thing to it. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 basically attempting to seize ownership of one of the aspects of the game that somebody else runs, right? It's like, well, UEFA run European competition. Well, now we're going to run European competition. So yeah, I mean, it is it is a seize of ownership um, of the game. So yeah, I, I mean, that that's very strong language, right? I mean, given like what it's associated with, but yeah, I mean, it's ultimately clubs trying to seize power. And can you indulge me here? I want to get self-involved, and I want you to tell me how to feel as a fan. So my two favorite soccer clubs, obviously Everton, I've got the hat on right now, and DC United in the MLS. I feel okay about Everton's prospects moving forward, but DC, I'm not entirely sure how to feel about that. One of my teams has not won a trophy since 2013, and I'm not even counting that because I didn't even know that DC United won that trophy until the day when I looked it up, so that doesn't exactly count. <laughs> so, Witty, how are my soccer fandom prospects looking right now over the next few years? Do I have any hope of winning anything? I, I actually, I quite like the direction that DC is going in uh, under their new manager, Hernan Lozada, and like he, he has this incredibly enterprising, hectic style of play. He's trying to get fitness into the players, and clearly the DC United uh, hierarchy did a fair bit of research because they kind of plucked him out of relative obscurity. So um, I, I also liked his um, match day one fit, like what he was wearing on the sidelines. Like, yes, wow, this guy, yeah, this he looked rocking. great. That guy's rocking that jacket, those glasses. That was a, that was a look uh, from DC United. I, I'll be honest, I've not had the chance. To, I, I think I had them on my ESPN Plus quad box on opening day, so I was only kind of half uh, paying attention to them. So, yeah, I think, like, in an MLS, there's always the route back. I actually, like, the build of their squad, like, the at least the, the starting players. I mean, Julian Gressel was a huge part of the MLS Cup winning side for Atlanta. Uh, you have uh, Edison Flores, who should be like a really top-level creative player in Major League Soccer, given his record in Mexico. Ola Kamara is the center forward, is someone who scored goals in Major League Soccer for multiple clubs. So, I mean, you've got what would appear to be the base of a good team. It just kind of needed to be uh, managed in a different way. So, I think they're on the right track. Everton, I, I know that they've pulled off some pretty decent results. They, they beat our, they beat Arsenal the other day. Yep, first, first road win against them, I think, in... 10, at least 10 years. I just find them, excuse me, so maddeningly inconsistent. You're telling me, Witty. I I just, I don't, and like, I don't trust that they have a route to scoring goals match in, match out. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know what it is that they do. Like, I know that Carlo Ancelotti is a really tactically flexible manager. He comes up with game plans that are specific to matches, but there's no player real. And Richarlison's good. I just don't think he's like... You can count on him every game to pull out a performance, or you can count on their system to produce chances. Like, they're a solid team, but ultimately, you don't go into any game thinking that they are definitely going to win it. 
And I just don't know, like, kind of what the future of that is because they spent a ton of money on players. Like, and there ultimately is a ceiling on the kind of player they can attract, right? You're only, you know, you, they spent a lot of money on Richarlison from another Premier League club. Alex Iwobi was kind of a rotation player uh, within. Uh, Arsenal, uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson, who was a rotation player within Spurs and then moved to a different club so he can kind of kick on to another level after moving from Swansea. Like, you're ultimately, like, capped at the quality of player that you can attract. So unless, like, I think actually Moise Keane was a fairly inspired signing, just didn't work out. You kind of have to go and, like, buy some lottery tickets to if you're really going to hit at a bigger level and try and find one of these young talents at a fairly high price and try and groom them to be one of the, like a Gareth Bale for Spurs before we went off to Real Madrid. We've got a top-level Premier League player. You've got a window to keep him because he's going to want to go to a bigger club, like Erling Haaland kind of situation, like moving from Salzburg to Leipzig. You kind of want to jump in on those kinds of... I don't know, it's like, go find Erling Haaland. Yeah, that's easy. But uh, yeah, I think you kind of want to get in on the ground floor on some top-level prospects because otherwise... There's going to be a solid team. You don't know if they can beat anyone every week. And, you know, the ceiling on that is seventh, which is where they finish most seasons. But you don't think Carlo Ancelotti, with his ability, as he's already shown, being able to bring in James on a free, being able to bring in Alon from, I believe, uh, AC Milan or Inter Milan, one of those Napoli, two clubs. Napoli. Napoli, Napoli, thank you. Yeah. Um, to be able to, and this this is the, the footballing department side of things, but bringing in an Abdoulaye Decore, um, mm-hmm. you know, bring in players like that. You have a Luca Dean on the, on the back you have a Ben Godfrey who looks like an absolute steal right now at center back um you don't think that maybe with that that head coach that has some actual pedigree for the first time in in the club's history in a while like maybe he can he can up that recruitment and bring some folks in especially with the new stadium on the way you know maybe maybe but there's a little bit of a sea change New stadiums are generally an impediment to that kind of spending progress, right? I mean, we've seen with Arsenal and with, like, Spurs, for instance. Spurs made the Champions League final while spending no money. Imagine if in that run they'd spend some money on on players instead of, you know, worrying about the finances of the stadium. So uh, I don't know if that necessarily, like, it's not a panacea in the near term. It's a panacea in the long term where you raise the level of your of your revenue. But um, I think in the COVID era as well, that it's really hard to spend at the kind of level you're talking about, where you're really kicking on from where you are now. Um, yeah, like I said, you're gonna have to like Hamas is a great example. It's a scratch off ticket, right? Like yeah. you're trying to rehab a player who has clearly hit the heights at the very biggest levels of European football and find consistent performances out of them that are probably a little above your station in terms of where you are as a club. But all those players you just mentioned are solid. Like Luca Dean is a, can be a French international. Like that's. Pretty damn good for Everton to have a French international. Um, But I just think there isn't enough in the aggregate um, to really reach Champions League level, which is what you're talking. You're talking about, you know, getting into the top four. Um, Honestly, I just want Europe, man. I just want Europe at this point. I want a a chance at something. You can you can get to Europe, I think, but I mean, I don't know. I'm not like uh, l- listen. I'm I'm privileged given the club that I support. Uh, you know, like Europa League for me is like oh Europa League. But yeah, I mean, for you know, you can probably do that. Um, but at the same time, I think if you really want to kick on and be at that top four level, like there has to be a little bit in the change in the model because I think you're getting a lot of players that are sevens, um, and I'm not sure that's enough to finish anything, anything other than seventh. So I want to bring this conversation full circle here. Um, Witty, earlier in this conversation when we started, you were talking about how uh, you were making some noises when you heard certain words that really tickled your fancy. Uh, <laughs> my, I suspect that the, the sounds that you were making were probably the sounds that I was making 
the first game that I watched Hamas play in an Everton jersey because I had yes. never seen someone handle the ball like that in an Everton shirt. I was like, oh, oh that, that, that my was a, that was God. the way it spurs, right? I remember I remember watching that and be like, wow, like uh, Hamas, where has he been? Like I I know like it's hard for him to be that kind of player in Real Madrid or Bayern because you're just like one of 11 in that team. And it's like really hard, I imagine, to fit in as one of 11 when you're James Rodriguez. But you see the moments of quality that are just like, oh my God, that 60-yard switch was perfectly into the stride of Luca Dean on an overlap. Holy I don't hell. know how he does that. It's, it's, it's wizardry. It's absolute wizardry. I've never seen yeah. anything like it on our team. Yeah, it's just a supreme level of quality that is the reason why he's reached the highest level of the game why you know he was the the star player of a of a world cup in 2014 like it it is an, an absurd level of quality with one foot and also like he reached this without i mean he went to full game without registering a sprint like <laughs> it, it it is the kind of created the, the creativity of a number 10 that allows you to exist in the game that is almost entirely moved to pressing while not being able to really press without really being able to contribute. It's just another level of quality. And it's only available to a club like Everton if Real Madrid and Bayern Munich both both say it's not worth their while. And it's probably because of that de- like that defensive inability that Hamas isn't in one of those teams. But look, that's Everton's gain. And it hasn't been that every week, I would imagine. I feel like early season Hamas was extraordinary. We haven't really seen yeah. that recaptured in a while, but... The moments you get to see it, like that's why you watch football. Like that's like the that's the best part of watching the game is players like Hamas just doing their thing. And in some ways, you almost prefer them in an environment like Everton, where if you like a, a teammate of of Hamas can't go, hey, why why did you do that? Like what you're telling me, Hamas Rodriguez, that I can't do that. Where it's like I don't know, maybe Tony Kroos can. <laughs> so like uh, like there's just like that kind of level where you have a freedom to really express yourself and not be told by your coach your teammates you're having uh like you know like you're a ball hog or that you're selfish or that you're like this is all about you yeah it's all about me because i'm better than you i'm just trying to think i don't i can't think of anybody on on the club maybe luca dean maybe richarlson on a good day that yeah, could that could, that could maybe maybe like tell him something but like i gilfie sigurdsson strutting up to him like here's what you should have done like no 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 no, no. you you sit <laughs> yeah, down no. iceland you sit no, down Oh I don't man! Think, I don't think Andre. I don't think Andre Gomes has the standing to do that. No, certainly not this year. He's been he's been dreadful. Well, <laughs> I, I apologize to the listeners for turning this into a soccer and Everton podcast here for the latter half, but uh, I'm not going to apologize because I have loved every minute of it. Uh, I'm Chris, sorry, I'm not going to apologize. Thank you. Witty, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, I could do this all day, just banter back and forth. You seem, I don't know why people are so annoyed by you. I, f- I have found you delightful. You always have a place on this podcast. If, if ever you need a, another outlet, even though you have a billion to, to express yourself, you're always welcome on this fan podcast. Yeah, I, I, I probably have too many outlets, to be honest. But I, I very much appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just immensely enjoying my time on the show i'm alarmed at how many people have started following me on twitter just so that they can see me retweet my own broadcasts and a bit of shameless self-promotion but yeah i mean it's been an incredible ride uh being a part of the day and love show universe and i have to thank uh mike ryan with like the utmost conviction because uh he brought me in uh he needed some help but he could have found someone else to do it. he brought me in and i'm immensely flattered uh that i was brought in and i like kind of thank uh, you know, I'm, I'm not terribly religious, but kind of ulterior powers 
for for uh, allowing me to work on this show because it's uh, been one of the joys of my life. Well, your your passion that for was it way shines. Too sappy through. way to end the podcast. I'm no, sorry. Uh, no, no. Honestly, like. If if I if I wanted to go down this path, I could get very sappy right now. The fact that this conversation that we've just had on this podcast is the closest I've been to this show that means so much to my life. It is a part of my routine, and yeah. I could I could very well talk my way into the headspace of getting teary eyed right now. I'd be crying crocodile tears <laughs> if I could. Um, but no, no. I mean, I, I think the I think what's what's so cool is that the passion everyone on the show has for the show shines through, and it's it's the reason that someone like me doing this little janky fan podcast looks at that and is just like that is the absolute dream. Like growing up, you know, I thought I wanted to make it to ESPN, and as I got older and and more experienced and just developed as a person, moreover, it it more became I discovered your show and y'all's show and what you had going on. And it was like, no, like I, th- I thought I wanted to do the sports center route, but no, it's, it's that like to be back in that shipping container, like that is, is the dream. And so for you guys to be able to live that out, man, it's, it, it's awesome. It, it just, yeah. It, yeah. I, I I'm speechless. See, you're, you're getting me, Woody. You're, you're getting me. I'm trying to talk myself into this, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to cry on this podcast. I'm not going to do it. So we're going to cut it there. Chris Winningham, uh, you have a million things to plug, I'm sure. So let the people yeah. know where they can find you. Listen to the Dan Levitard Show with Stu Gatz wherever you get your podcasts.